God of grace and God of glory, we turn to you this morning asking for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, for the power of your word to rest upon us. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of this hour and of these days. May your blessing rest upon your people as we worship you. Amen. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the, the Lord, Lord is good. His, his steadfast love endures forever. And, and his, his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Is not this the fast I chose? To loose the bonds of injustice. To undo the thongs of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicators shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Hear our cry, O Lord, make your church a light. Our city that stands to defend what is right for you.
so now, O Lord, in the silence, come and search our hearts, restore us within, hear our cry. For we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. morning is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4, story at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. I invite you to follow along with me. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, 
he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zar Ephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them, and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do not go and do likewise. This is that great programmatic text in the Gospel of Luke that preaches to us the whole Gospel. Jesus, when he begins his public ministry, goes home. Back to Nazareth, back to the community where he grew up. And as was his custom on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue to be with the people. He went to church on that Sabbath day. And as it happened, he was asked to do the reading of the text and to give a short message about the meaning of the text. 
And so he did. He unrolled the scroll and found Isaiah 61 and 58. And these were the words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of jubilee. The year in which debts were to be canceled and properties restored and slaves released. A day and a year of new beginnings, of realizing the presence and the power of the reign of God in human history. This was a revolutionary word from God, and Jesus rolled the scroll up and gave it back to the attendant, and as was the custom in the synagogue, the one who was going to give the message sat down and gave one of the shortest sermons ever. Amen to that. <laughs> Today, Jesus said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all those folks who knew him well began to whisper amongst themselves. Did we hear him correctly? Did he not just say to us that he is Israel's Messiah? The anointed one? Who came to inaugurate the kingdom of God? In this small little village of Nazareth? Caught at the crossroads of history? Surrounded by Greco-Roman culture and Roman legions? Did he just not say that history was getting ready to have a whole new beginning and somehow it's focused in him? And the response of the congregation was, isn't this old Joe and Mary's boy? Isn't he not the carpenter's son? Did he not just say that he was the fulfillment of this message from Isaiah? That a whole new beginning for Israel was beginning. And immediately Luke wants us to know Jesus perceived that the people who knew him well and perhaps loved him and the people whom he, he knew well and whom he loved did not believe him. And he saw that. And then he says to the folks that he knows very well, doubtless you will say to me, Physician, cure yourself. Do the mighty things we've heard that you did up in Capernaum. Show us what you've got. Dazzle us with some more words. Do some mighty acts in order to convince us, to persuade us that you are really who you say you are. 
This is where the rubber hits the road, Jesus. And Jesus' response was, a prophet's not without honor except in his own country, in his own town. And then he took the risk of telling them two more Bible stories about Elijah and Elisha, prophets in the Old Testament. And they were given a message, not to the people of Israel, but for Gentiles, the identified enemies of Israel. It was the Gentiles who got the blessings, who got healed. And no one in Israel, the implication being there was not found many who would believe in the righteous acts of God or God's love for a Gentile world or God's love for the whole world or we put it in terms of the New Testament. Not many would believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As a preacher, I read this text and, and I ask myself, what is it that gave courage, Jesus the courage to stand up in the presence of his hometown friends, members of his own congregation, and proclaim such a message of prophetic critique? It so angered that congregation that they decided instantaneously and together to grab him and to drag him as far as possible to the hill upon which their city or village was built and to throw him over in order to kill him. He was a perceived traitor and subverter of the worldview, of the religious convictions, of the way to read the text. He was a threat to this group of people and they did not need to hear any more voices like that. Now I want to suggest to you it takes a lot of courage to speak the truth in love. Or even to listen to the word, the truth, in love. And we know that from our time. In any kind of community, whether it's a religious or a political or economic community, worldviews can be very strong. Communicators bring convictions, and those who listen bring their convictions. And sometimes those convictions clash. Remember that movie in which Jack Lemmon played the Roman Catholic priest? It was called Mass Appeal. We saw it one year at a session retreat. He was a very sophisticated Roman Catholic priest in a traditional, uh, wealthy, conservative community. The church was always jammed. He knew how to preach. He was a raging alcoholic himself. And whenever he got upset, he went to the cabinet in his office and opened up and got the bottle of scotch out and took a drink. Jack Lemmon, who one of my favorite actors, he had given, uh, been given by higher authority uh, the responsibility of mentoring a young priest in training, teaching him how to preach. 
Lemon's role, I mean, he, when he didn't have a sermon ready on a Sunday morning, he'd simply uh, say, let's have a dialogue sermon this morning and ask a couple of questions and the conversation would get going back and forth. And his primary goal was to keep his congregation happy and pleased with him. But this young seminarian in training to learn how to priest saw himself as a budding prophet. And every time he stood up to preach, everyone was stiff with anxiety. Because he'd get going, it looked like he's going to do just fine. And then he'd kind of go off track. And he began to talk to the people about what was really going on in their lives. He talked to them about the beautiful cars, expensive cars they drove down to church that morning. He commented on the clothing that they wore and the fur coats that were out there in the congregation and for the older ladies, the purple hair that they had. And as he would get into this message, the people would begin to twitch and become restless. And the faces of the pillars of the church they could hardly move their heads around, but they were, what this guy going to say? By the time he was finished and the service was over, the whole congregation was angry as hell. And the chorus of the congregation came to the older priest and said to him, You must never allow this young man to preach again. priest Lemon ran to his office, opened the cabinet again, took another shot of scotch. His own life and worldview and status in the community was up for grabs. He got the young priest in his office and read him the right act. By the time the movie is over, we know that the young man was a closeted homosexual. And this was a congregation that did not knew, know how to deal with controversial issues. Even in the Presbyterian Church, we have a policy on controversial issues. Sometimes even at a Presbytery meeting, we're not able to talk honestly with each other without assaulting each other verbally. And so there are rules and there are boundaries for that kind of communication. And if you choose to go into the ministry and to be a biblical preacher and you have a deep need um, to be liked, you can be in deep trouble. It's an issue that every called pastor, preacher has to deal with. Father James Martin in his book on Jesus, Jesus of Pilgrimage, tells his own story. He's a Jesuit priest. He said throughout his lifetime he had become aware of how much he needed to be liked. And that's probably true for most of us who choose to go into the ministry. We're people pleasers, and many of us are. We'll do anything or say anything to avoid conflict. We just want to get along and maintain peace. Peace. 
He said a situation had arisen within his Jesuit community where one of his brothers was so angry with him that he wouldn't even speak to him. And Martin knew that he had to address a controversial issue in the life of that community, in the larger church. He knew it would stir up enmity toward him. He started talking about this with his spiritual director. And he said, James, you need to pray, to use the tools of the Ignatian prayer exercises to get inside of Scripture, and you need to discern what is going on in your own soul. And he told him to go and pray Luke 4, verses 16 to 30, the text we read this morning, to see if he could identify his life with some character in the story. As he did so, he became very much aware that he was bound by the chains of approval that if he was going to be a faithful prophet, priest of the Lord, he had to learn to courageously live into and to proclaim the truth of God in the same way that Jesus did in his hometown synagogue. He needed help. Because he carried in his own soul that sense of lack of self-esteem, lack of a of the kind of intestinal or internal uh, fortitude that's necessary to be a leader, to be a communicator of the truth. I was touched by the story of um, the actor Andy uh, Garfield who plays the role of the Jesuit priest in the movie Silence that some of us are going to see next Saturday afternoon. If you want to join us, uh, information will be in the e-blast this week. That movie is about the Jesuits' order from Portugal taking the gospel and planting the seeds of the gospel to build the church in Japan in 17th century and experiencing success in doing that until the samurai, the warlords, those who, who controlled the culture and the official ideology and orthodoxy of Japan became aware, if they allowed this to continue, that it would turn their world upside down. And so they had to stamp out Christianity. And the only way to do it was to subvert the priest, the Jesuits, to get them to renounce their faith, to apostatize. And in that movie, Andrew Garfield plays Father Rodrigue, who is under that kind of pressure. And at the very beginning of preparing to do that movie, he contacted James Martin and ask him to lead him over a years long of praying the Ignatian prayer exercises. Now that's preparation for you. I heard him interview. He lost 40 pounds in preparation for this movie. The other priest in it, the major role, lost 50 pounds. He 
And he shared what he really came into touch with doing those exercises of, of meditating on Scripture and praying and identifying with the characters and story. He came in touch with that voice planted deep in his own soul that whenever he had a challenging role on the stage to play, he would hear this voice say to him, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And he realized that needed to be healed within him. And he shared it with his own dad who gave him a plaque. And on it it said, I am enough. And he had it in his, in his room, always to look at as a reminder. One day he walked out of the theater. He's getting ready to play Shakespeare. He walked beside the Thames River in London. And as he walked meditating and praying to himself, gripped by stage fright, getting ill as he seemed always to do in a challenging moment and throwing up, he saw a street musician standing beside the Thames River playing a musical instrument, a cello. And he was making very squeaky sounds with the music. And to say the least, it was an imperfect presentation. That suddenly I became aware that God was speaking to me through that musical instrument in all of its imperfection. And it was a redemptive moment. And he said, maybe, maybe I can let loose of that great need to be perfect, to be liked, to gain approval. Maybe God can use my imperfection to his own glory. And it was a liberating moment. I try to claim that every time I stand up to say something to people. Because I know that every communicator in the church needs the humility to be able to affirm that we do not know everything, that our truth deserves to be challenged. And that the prerequisite for all of us in the process of communication is to have enough humility to know that and to confess that and to struggle for truth together in the context of Christian community so that we can hear one another and love one another. The amazing thing about Andrew Garcia, not our Garfield, was that he confessed that in the process of doing the Ignatian prayer exercises over a year, he fell in love with Jesus. And he decided to follow his way of love. Fell in love with Jesus. Can you imagine? An actor? In preparation for a movie, a Hollywood movie? Engaged in a process that led him to fall in love with Jesus? Well, that's exactly what every one of us as preachers need to do over and over again, fall in love with Jesus. It's the only love, it's the only courage, it's the only power that can sustain us in life. Martin said in his book that Jesus was sustained in his public ministry 
by his relationship of intimacy that found expression in prayer throughout the Gospels, that he, he was in an intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. He'd heard the Father's voice at the river when he was baptized. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And over and over again, it was as if Jesus was, could hear that voice saying to him that by God's grace, you're enough to do this mission. You know the Father, and you have an intimate relationship with Him. Live in and out of that relationship if you want to know the courage and the power of the kingdom of God. It's the only thing that will sustain you. Otherwise, you'll run out the back door and be so intimidated by those who listen to you, like the folks in Nazareth, that you'll just zip up your mouth and not have a thing to say. He was sustained in love by the relationship that he had with his father and mother, Joseph and Mary, his earthly father and mother. I was so moved by Andy Gar Garfield's word that his dad, when he discovered the inner struggle of his son, he gave him that plaque that said, I am enough. It was like saying to him, you are enough because you are loved by me. You're dead. Now you courageously stand up. And I know in my own life that if I had not had a father and a mother who said to me repeatedly over my lifetime and really the last words my dad said to me were, I love you. And my mother said, almost in her last words, I'm so proud of you. I love you. That has given me the courage to face rejection or acceptance and to steadfast, be steadfast in all the various circumstances of life that we all face. A parent's word and lifestyle of affirmation and encouragement. And Jesus was courageous. Because God had given to him the very eyes of God that saw the world through the eyes of compassion. When he saw that the people were like sheep without a shepherd, that they were suffering, that they were lost, that they were hurting, that they were deeply wounded, that they needed forgiveness and healing and restoration. He was moved to the depths of his soul. This was his mission to bring hope and healing and resurrection life to those who needed the presence of God in their lives. And it was that seeing with compassion that made his life steadfast in devotion to the work of the kingdom. My dear brothers and sisters, may we be so claimed by our intimate relationship with the Father. And from every voice and person who has shaped and formed our lives in the power of love over many years,
and by the vision of the kingdom that God has come to rescue and to heal humanity in Christ. May we be so moved by that vision that we would have the courage to stand up, to be steadfast, to courageously live, to keep our eyes on Jesus, as the book of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, where he prays for us, he makes intercession for us. We're not alone, and there's a great cloud of witnesses of everyone with whom we shared life, of all that great line of saints throughout history who are praying for us and rooting us on in the race. We may have times of cowardice and we may turn away and we may keep silent when we should speak. But over and over again, the Spirit will nudge us and the power of the Word will give us the capacity to stand up and to speak and to love one another and to call for justice and peace and social righteousness and the healing of the world. May God give us that kind of courage through the power of his word and spirit. Stand and join with me in our affirmation. We read responsively from our brief statement of faith. In life and in death we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the church, the same Spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles, rules our faith and life in Christ through Scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls women and men to all ministries of the church. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily task and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering. God of justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not be served. Jesus, you have called us, freely we receive. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, all good things come from you. and With thanksgiving, we return to you what is yours. You created all that is, and with love, you formed us in your image. We thank you for your gifts of creation, for your world, the heavens that tell of your glory. And as our creator and our savior, your love has remained steadfast and faithful. And with this love, we pray that you would open our eyes to each other, to all our brothers and sisters, especially the poor, the oppressed, and the alienated. Give us hearts that are ready and able to make a difference for good in the lives of others. And to a world that is hostile and living in fear, we pray your love, justice, 
and peace may come. And for our own church in this new year, may your Holy Spirit guide us as we celebrate our hundred years of ministry to this community and beyond. And may your Spirit continue to use and empower us to share the good news of Jesus Christ in word and deed into the future for your glory, honor, and praise. Lord, accept this offering that we give you as a sign of our obedience and bless our effort as we seek to be faithful for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In life and in death, we are enough. Because God is enough. And we have received his grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And we are abiding in the love of the Father. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go forth to live with courage and boldness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.